Hey, warrior. If you're enjoying everything you're hearing on this podcast, imagine meeting with me every week. Women across the country are joining the Warrior Women Mastermind, a 12-week experience in a small curated group of women hand-selected just for you. Whether you're feeling stuck, afraid to use your voice, not making the money you want, or just feeling uh, meh, come join us. The Warrior Women Mastermind is the boost you need. Connection, accountability, and women you'll love. Schedule your call with me to learn more. The link is in the show notes, or you can go to lizswadek.com. Women aren't born warriors. We become them. And the road to becoming a warrior is bumpy as hell. Each week, I'm interviewing women who, through tragedy and triumph, are leaping for greatness. Get ready to unleash your inner warrior. I'm Liz Swadek, and this is Conversations with Warrior Women. Hello, warriors. I've been waiting and wanting to do a podcast on this subject for a while. There is a movement happening. Moms who are sober curious because they are realizing that drinking is not the answer to their stress and anxiety. In fact, it's making it worse. The mental load of motherhood is overwhelming. And instead of making fun of it, we need to address it. In my interview with Jessica Leahy, I started this conversation, but my guest today knows firsthand the danger of mommy wine culture. She runs a vast sober mom network and is asking us today to look deeper into drinking, motherhood, and the convincing moments you may be ignoring. This is one of those episodes I want you to share widely because if it can help moms who are struggling, then let's do it. The new paradigm of drinking is no longer about the black and white of either you're an alcoholic or you're sober. We are exploring, curious, and open to hearing about happy moms who are living the dry life. Thank you for listening today, and please reach out to us or our guests today if you need help. We're there for you. Love you, warriors. Let's get into it, but first. All right, Carrie Murray is back with the Bra Network. Carrie, I heard you have some news for us. Last time you came on and you t- we talked about the Bra Network, this time you're expanding? What's going on? Huge, exciting news. We're growing, we're getting bigger. We have new members coming in from all over the country. So now we're getting back to having in-person events and they're coming to a city near you. We've got them in Houston, Austin, Boston, Portland, Ventura, Orange County, San Diego. We're coming for you. Oh my God, that's so exciting. So you can live anywhere. I love this. So Carrie, what do you think it is about Bra Network that makes it so special? Well, why don't I ask you? You've been a huge cheerleader for me, a huge champion for the women of this network. What do you like about Bra Network? Oh my gosh, Carrie. Well, if I mean, put me on the spot, why don't you? But I will say that I love the collaborative nature of everything Bra stands for. Whether we're hiring each other, whether we're going to events together, we're referring clients to each other. It's just a good feeling to collaborate and be in this space with some dynamic women. We can learn about money. We can learn about business. We can learn about LinkedIn, but we also can learn about spirituality or we can learn about self-care. So you really have something for everyone. I think it's really one of the best networking groups out there, which is why, you know, I'm your biggest fan. Why? Thank you. (laughs) So everybody needs to join the bra network. Join now because the prices are increasing and it's coming to a city near you. So let's go. Warrior two. Where do they go, Carrie? How do they join? Good question. Bra-network.com and use that code warrior two for 20% off. 
Today on the show, author Celeste Ivan. Celeste is a writer whose work on parenting, the mental load of motherhood, mommy wine culture, and sobriety resonates with mothers around the world and has been featured in the Washington Post, Good Morning America, The Today Show, Refinery29, among others. Celeste is more than five years sober and a founding host of the Sober Mom Squad. She is an advocate for mothers who struggle with addiction and a recipient of the Winfeld Inspire Award by the Dry Society Social Club. Her new book, and I already pre-ordered it, um, her new book, It's Not About the Wine, The Loaded Truth Behind Mommy Wine Culture, is already climbing the charts and is sure to be a bestseller. Celeste lives in Reno, Nevada with her husband and two boys. Welcome to the show, Celeste. Thanks, Liz. I'm honored to be here. I'm so, I already told you, I'm so excited to have this conversation because this has been something that I've kind of danced around this conversation a little bit. I actually talked to Jessica Leahy. uh, We went into, but I was really kind of going also into the, more into the teen drinking zone with her. And I, we went a little bit into the mom zone. So I'm thrilled that you're here today and you're the perfect person to talk to because you know so much about this and you've been there and you are there. And so you're the person. So thank you. Thanks, Liz. Yeah, I have been on both sides of this story. I have been the one creating the mommy needs wine memes. And now I'm on the other side, realizing the damage it causes and wanting to do better. Yeah. And by the way, we've all done that. So here we go. As I told you, I already pre-ordered my book, but let's go back five years ago before you got sober. What was this journey? Like, how did you even arrive where you are now? I've heard it called convincing moments, like little convincing moments where you're not ready to make a big change in your life just yet, but they're little nudges moving you in the right direction. Um, I was at a time in my life five years ago where a lot of convincing moments came all together all at once. And it wasn't just uh, that I was consuming more alcohol each night than I was comfortable with. It was um, parenting issues. You know, I had a three-year-old child who was starting to show signs of neurodivergence. I had a husband who uh, was struggling with early signs of depression. Um, There was a lot of things coming all together at once where I realized if I don't get control over what I'm doing to myself, then certainly I can't have control over anything else. And it all came to a head one morning after, you know, they call it the Sunday scaries where you get really anxious. Uh, On Sunday, before you got to go back to work, I went into work on my Monday morning and I had a panic attack. And for me, that was really my, what am I doing to myself moment? Why am I doing this? Why am I self-sabotaging when life's hard enough without ingesting poison in my body every single day? That day I decided I will not drink. And it wasn't a, I will never drink again. It was a, I will not drink for now. And it wasn't even until I reached about one year sober where I made the decision, I don't ever want to drink again. It took me that long, work through all these myths going on in my head that wine was helpful or wine was rewarding or wine was fun. And it took me that long to bust those myths and realize that my life was better. My family was healthier. My relationships were stronger when I was not drinking. 
So it was a long, I mean, it started out with one, you know, bleary eyed Monday morning, but it was a, a work in progress for several years. And it was even longer after I decided to quit drinking to be at peace with that decision. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everything you're saying is really resonating with me. I, you don't, you don't know me that well because we just met. I'm a coach. And one of the things we talk about is the nighttime scaries. Mm-hmm. And how do you get out of those? And the problem with wine, and I'm teaching women all about self-regulation and how to breathe and all the things, because the wine is actually self-regulation. That's the problem, right? The wine gives us that feeling of just like, oh, oh my God, it's been the worst day. It's just like, t- it's almost like this giant deep breath, right? Like mm-hmm. I even see moms sometimes when, you know, we have a glass of wine, I literally watch them go like this first sip, <sighs> right? But it's not that we want the wine. It's what we want the regulation, right? Right. The wine is being used in the wrong way because unfortunately you got to keep chasing the wine to continue the regulation. And then the next morning you feel like absolute shit. So it's the worst self-regulation. But I can see why women turn to it because it does. It gives us that little peace and calm for the moment. And when you were talking about kind of like, you know, being in this, you know, even a year later, you were like, maybe it's just, maybe I will though. You know, we, we like to have options to less, like yeah. we don't want to box ourselves in. Like maybe I will want a margarita on next week. Like, I don't know. I could, I mean, <laughs> but you even had gone a year, you had all the proof in the world, right? That drinking was just so much better to not drink. You felt so much more amazing. Everything was so much better. And still you were like, ah, maybe, you know, like, <laughs> So I just love that because I think that's such a woman thing. Like we we want to buy, we feel so constricted right. by so many things that we're like, well, I'm just not going to constrict myself there. Like I'm just not going to. I'm going to let myself feel it out, you know. But let's talk about this mommy wine culture because you admitted it. I admit it. I've been I ha- rose all day. It's wine thirty. It's five o'clock somewhere. I have done all those memes and more. I have I have t-shirts that I have now thrown out that had that on it. I didn't realize the depth of what I was doing when I was engaging in that, especially as a leader of a community. Mm -hmm. I'm never going to be over here encouraging women to drink to solve the problem um, and to make fun and light of it as if it's like not a drug, which it is. So it's an elephant in the room and moms are numbing out right? They're numbing out because the load, the mental load of motherhood is too much to bear. And you say alcohol isn't going to fix the systemic lack of support for mothers and pretending it's the solution to surviving motherhood does more harm than good. So let's talk about that. Yeah. So, you know, and I get, I write about this a lot in my social media and I get a lot of pushback. And one person said to me, we're just looking for a collective sigh, similar to what you said. We just, people are, we get so much taken from us in motherhood. Don't take this from me too. You know, don't take my wine from me too. Uh, what I want to say about that is it's less about the wine and more about the message. Uh, when, when you're seeing uh, the t-shirts at Target that say, um, I wine because my kids wine, you know, or mommy needs wine. That what it's really doing is distracting us from the real issue, which is getting better support for mothers who are struggling. Uh, you know, we are living at a really interesting time where about 70% of mothers are returning to the workforce. But 
in employers are still practicing really outdated traditional models of of work and these work conditions the 40 hour hour work week it was not created or designed for mothers whatsoever it nobody would ever say that but nothing's changed since mothers have returned back to the workforce uh, we have limited maternity and paternity leave if any in the United States and then we still have these traditional gender roles at home I read in um, Fair Play that it's going to take 92 years before there's true equality in gender roles for unpaid labor at home. We still have 92, like we're getting better on the home front. 92 years, that's like, ha, ha, ha. But the bulk of it is falling on mothers still, and it will be for a long, long, long time. So I think what people need to realize uh, that, you know, if you are struggling, you are not alone. The systems set up as they are today and the traditional gender roles and the workplace, they are not designed for mothers to thrive. We are literally up against wall after wall after wall. So there's a reason why we're struggling. There's a reason why we all need this collective sigh. Uh, it's because we aren't, we we don't have the support systems in place to to really to succeed on any front at work, at home, parenting. It's just, it's wall after wall. And um, then, you know, you take into consideration hustle culture, which was, you can do this. The only thing stopping you is your I sense. can do it all. I'm a superwoman, super mother. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. then even the lean in movement, which was again, like, we're capable of doing this. It's not a pro it's not the corporate situ situation. It's not the workplace. It's you. You can adapt. You can make the changes. Uh, you go, girl. And all of these things has kind of put us in this place where it feels like we get home, we need that collective side because it feels like we personally are the ones screwing up because everyone else around us looks like they're doing great. And wine alcohol does that. It lets you have that collective sigh quietly without speaking out, without saying we need changes. Yeah. And um, it's a very convenient way to self-medicate because it doesn't require our partners to make changes. It doesn't require the places we work to make changes. It doesn't require a uh, policy to change. It just lets us drown ourselves in ethanol. <laughs> Yeah. And what feels like self-care because for 20 minutes or so it is until right. it isn't until it isn't. Yeah. And it's so funny. I think, I think of that video. Um, I forget her name. She's so hilarious. It's Elizabeth. Oh my God. I can't remember her name, but anyway, she, it's just a little heart attack. Have you seen this video? Oh, maybe. Where yeah. She and then she's literally she making the sandwiches and yeah. she's doing all the things Celeste. And she's like, yeah. And, and, and she's sweating and she's basically having a heart attack. And she's like, no, I'm fine. And she's like sinking down to the floor, having an actual heart attack. And she's, it, it was like a true story. Like people, our husbands, our kids will watch us kill ourselves because yeah. they don't know what they're seeing. They're, to them, they're like, oh, that's my mom. She works hard. She juggles it all. She does it all. She remembers to like remind me to bring my tennis shoes to, for tennis. She, she is working. She makes sure dad knows that like he needs to wash his underwear. She tells us when the parent teacher conference, I mean, blah, 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 blah. I told my husband the other day, I'm like, when I go on vacation, my greatest joy is I'm not thinking about what we're eating. That is my greatest fucking joy. I do not 
want to think any more, Celeste, about what I am having for dinner. It Why literally not? is killing me. And I'm like, every I don't want to think about that anymore. My family wants dinner every night. Like, every oh night. My God. <laughs> every night. And then I'm, and then I'm trying, because I'm bored. I'm like, I need something different. I can't do the same thing every single week. I'm going crazy. Yeah. So like, it's, it's, it's all of these, it is the mental load. It's not the actual, you know, all the physical things we're doing all the time. It is that mental load or like, you know, your kid is struggling. Like you said, like I have teenagers, like you're, are your kids teenagers now? No, they're still young. They're still young. How old are your kids? They're six and eight. Okay. Six and eight. Well, I have got the the, the 16 and almost 14. Mm-hmm. So like there's emotional stuff that goes down, mm-hmm. you know, friends leaving you out. Um, you know, not fitting in because my son has ADHD and it's just like, maybe it's not his people, you know, all the, he has a physical difference. My daughter has ulcerative colitis. Like, hello. I mean, of course it would be natural for me to be like, and a martini is my answer. Thank you. Okay. So, and, and everyone would say, girl, you deserve it. Yeah. Fucking pour that martini sister, have a couple. Right. But the problem with that is if that's all I'm doing, if I'm not giving myself any other peace, any other time, any other spaciousness, right, to feel good and to feel my feelings, frankly, if I don't have that space, then I'm on a hamster wheel and I can't get off. And I think that's the slippery slope, right? It's like you said before, it's like one one wine with making dinner. Ooh, now I'm going to have a second glass because I'm sitting having dinner. Oh, my husband just got home and you know what? He didn't get to dinner with me, so I'll have a glass with him. Like, you know, you can really... Yeah. justify your little ass all the way down the line. It's such a slippery slope. And you get to a place where you're like, well, I'm only having two. And then all of a sudden, I'm only having three. I, I only drink Thursday through, you know, you make all these fool's rules. And they slowly get broken one after the next after the next until you are doing the things you never in your wildest dreams, imagine doing like, um, you know, I got to the point where I was sneaking drinks in coffee mugs. Uh, and it wasn't because I had a problem. I just didn't want to startle my, my husband. You know, it was, I had an excuse for everything. I would throw my, um, my empty wine bottles in, um, gas station trash cans. And it wasn't because I had a problem. It's because I didn't want to cause alarm um, on recycled day, like, I mean, there was so, so much guilt, so much weight, so much pressure. And it feels so justifiable by saying parenting's hard. Motherhood's hard. Life is stressful. Um, when really at the end of the day, the, if alcohol made parenting easier and better, it would be one thing, but it made it, it makes it harder. I mean, it does cause emotional dysregulation uh, once the effects start to wear off. You wake up with anxiety the next day and you're miserable. And our kids feel that. They sense that. You know, one of the things that re- one of the convincing moments I had when um, a month or two before I quit was when we were going to the doctor talking about uh, my child. My, he was three at the time. Like something's off. Something doesn't feel right. And the doctor said, you know, he's only three. There's nothing we can do about it. And I was like, that's not a good enough answer. Like, what am I, you can't tell me just to go home and just be, and just sit on this for a couple of years until he's old enough to get testing. And the doctor said something that I will never forget, which is children like what we're seeing here, thrive in consistent, safe environments. And at the time, 
I didn't think much about that, but I went home and you better believe I sat on that. Was I providing a consistent, safe environment when I was drinking a bottle of wine each night? Probably not. And if there was nothing else I could do for my child during that time, but take remove alcohol from the equation, I needed to do it. Because right now, you know, I had a child who was really struggling and it felt like the one thing I could give him while we waited to figure out what was really going on. Well, tell me, I I love that post that you put up about the mom offering you you a mimosa at a play date. And you were just incessantly asking you, by the way, incessantly asking you if you wanted a mimosa at the play date. And that it really caught you off guard because you hadn't been like kind of in that zone for a while. And you made a really interesting point that alcohol is the only drug we have to explain not using. I think my like mind exploded when I, (laughs) when I read that there is a shame and embarrassment. You got to fucking explain, you got to navigate, like, how do we navigate these moments? If we really do not want to do it. And we we're feeling that kind of pressure. Yeah. You know, I mean, this is something we talk about a lot in the recovery meetings I lead, uh, because it's not so much an issue as you are more in long-term sobriety or recovery, because you become more, you are more solid footing, but in early sobriety, especially like for me with that first year, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know if this was um, a long-term thing, or if I was just doing an experiment. Like I really didn't know. So it didn't feel right to me to go into a play date with a mom I just met and be like, I think I have an alcohol problem. You know, like, I don't even know you. Why would I uh, uh, start opening up my, uh, the skeletons in my closet? But um, this is a situation that I think for a lot of newly sober, we, we have to go through because there is this weird expectation that you will drink whatever it is, wherever you are, a a child's play date, you know, a birthday party, alcohol is everywhere and anywhere in today's day and age. And it's almost surprising or confusing to people when you decline. When I look back on that play date where I was afraid to tell the mom that I wasn't drinking, a, I hardly knew her. And B, I, I didn't know why I wasn't drinking for sure. I didn't know if it was because I had a, dr- a drinking problem or if I was just exploring a different lifestyle. Now, if I were to go back and do it, I would have no qualms being like, no, I don't drink. Thanks. But I didn't say that. I was afraid she would think I'm boring or she wouldn't want to be my friend. And, you know, you know, mom friends in early motherhood are hard to come by. You know, you're kind of just begging for other people. It's a lonely time. And I had just read a meme like the week before that play date that says, I judge my kids' play dates based on which moms I want to drink wine with. You know, so there were so many things going into um, my decision not to tell her why I didn't want to have a mimosa with her, but kept me from, from saying the truth out loud. I think if I were to go back and do it all over again, the things I tell people in my uh, sober meetings is always bring your own drink, you know, always have a tumbler with your favorite water, bring a sparkling water in your backpack. Like there's so many things we can have available or that are available to us. So it doesn't even have to come up and you can just say, no, thanks. I have my own drink. And it feels like less an issue. The pressure feels off. 
Um, the other thing people always say to me is, you know, no is a complete sentence. But I struggle with that too, because when you are trying to make friends with somebody and you just respond to them, no, it, it, it doesn't sit right. So, you know, always come with some sort of explanation, even if you have to lie, like, no, thanks. I got to drive the kids home. No, thanks. Um, I'm allergic. I mean, like whatever you have to do. I got a big presentation ready. tomorrow. Yeah. I, I have a meeting at 6 a.m. and I got to be alert. Like, yeah, you know, have right? those excuses ready and on standby because they're, yeah. you're going to need them. If you're not ready to go there with somebody, you need you just need to have them ready so you don't do what I did, which was just deer in headlights and just <laughs> making excuses <laughs> for an hour. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You were like, wow, don't ask me that. <laughs> um, you mentioned the label of alcoholic and that it actually prevented you from getting sober for years. I, I definitely have heard this from people. Like they just don't want a label. They don't want the title, right? They'd no. rather be like, I'm just, you know, exploring that drinking or like, you know, right. They don't want the title. So tell me why. Particularly, it's loaded for you, and then also just why you think it's loaded in general for us. Yeah, you know, my father was—he uh, would describe himself as an alcoholic. He was fine with that label; he had no qualms about it. He struggled with alcohol his entire life, and when I think of an alcoholic, I think of him, which was dashing gin bottles, drinking starting at six a.m., having a stroke at fifty-two, like all these things that just felt so severe and so on the far end of the spectrum. So for me to also label myself as an alcoholic, just it, it kept me from going there for so long. Cause I always looked at my dad and say, well, I'm not there. You know, I am not even close to that. So I'm okay. I'm doing okay. Even as I started inching and inching closer and closer. Um, so that's really what kept me from even probably finding and exploring sobriety sooner is because I always felt like if I could stay within a very safe, comfortable distance from what I saw my father get to, I'm going to be okay. I can, I can beat the system, right? Like I, th I thought I could beat this, but what I have since learned is questioning your drinking at all is, is worth exploring label or not. Alcohol shouldn't be something that we feel obligated to consume, even when we see a lot of negatives coming out around us. I mean, it's it's worth trying dry life and seeing where it takes you if you if you're curious. And I think that is a narrative that we've only been hearing about in recent years. Whereas when I was growing up, the assumption was everybody drinks unless you have a drinking problem. And then if you have a drinking problem, it's basement meetings and wheat coffee and a lot of shame and guilt, which right. is what it's I saw like in my father's. Life. It's like either you're, you're, you're yeah. drinking every night, you're teetotaler, or you're at the, at the AA meeting. Exactly. Right. It's one or the other. And, um, it wasn't until I quit drinking, you know, cold Turkey, just out of dead terror and then started learning that there is a sober space and, alcohol use disorder is a spectrum, a wide ranging spectrum. And that anybody who is questioning their drinking, not only has a right to explore it, but it's worth exploring, yeah. um, really changed my perspective and made me want to talk about this more because I feel like it's a conversation that would have helped me probably five years <laughs> before I quit. 
Yeah. And I think that's, that's why I wanted to have you on today because I want to free another woman to explore it. It does. Yeah. You don't have to have the label, right? right? If you're exploring it, you want to explore sobriety. Like we want to encourage that. Like if you're feeling kind of like shit, you feel like you're drinking too much. Great. Awesome. Join the fucking club yeah. and, and take a moment to say, maybe I want to explore this a little bit and see what I think. Right. What is the biggest message you want people to take away from reading your book? Because I feel like your book is kind of like a companion guide. Like how do you want people to use it? You know what I mean? Yeah. I want people to know that if they are struggling in motherhood, they have every reason to be. I, I'm so tired of mothers feeling like we're being gaslighted to think that if we're struggling, it's our own fault. If we're drinking too much, it's our own problem. Like that we have a lot of cards stacked against us. Yeah. And I want women to know that there there's we're not going to get it from the outside, but there are things we can do on the inside that will help us and support us on our journey. And I also want people to know from the book that alcohol is not it. Like it will not ever be someone's saving grace. Um, I think about, I've never met anybody who has come to one of my sober meetings um, and then return back to let me know that they found a way to moderate their drinking. Like they, they found the magic key. They found the third door. Uh, it doesn't, alcohol doesn't work that way. It's a progressive disease. It only gets worse. If you are looking for freedom, if you're looking for peace through alcohol in either motherhood or life or uh, marriage, you'll never find it there. Yeah. And I want people to to know that there's other ways we can do this. Yeah. And it's not, um, you know, it's, it's not imprisonment. You know, sobriety is not punishment. It It is the ultimate freedom. And it's a story that you don't hear very often. And I wish more people knew that um, it's alcohol or sobriety is not deprivation. It's liberation. That is a mic dropper right there that you, that was a gold level sentence right there. <laughs> putting in a quote. I, I'm always like, I always tell people I'm like an editor in my mind. I'm like, yeah. Ooh, that's a good quote. She just, Ooh, she said another good thing. That was, that was, that was wonderful. So how can people explore sobriety in a way that kind of feels safe to them? And because I want to know, I know some people are going to hear this and be like, Oh my God, I really like her. She's, you know, how can they kind of start like working with you or getting kind of what you're doing and kind of start exploring safely? Yeah. Um, so let me take a step back because when I first quit drinking, my understanding was my only option or the only way I could find a community was through AA. And, um, this was pre pandemic, uh, something that happened when the pandemic hit is all the recovery meetings just shut down overnight. Um, you know, uh, Alcohol use went up, drug use went up, relapses, um, the the percentage just exploded. Um, but then something happened, which was recovery went online, recovery went virtual. And when I was first uh in my first year of sobriety, and someone told me, Well, you know, you should go to AA, 
I had a one-year-old and a three-year-old. And I'm like, how am I supposed to pack up my kids? 90 meetings in 90 days. Pack my kids up every day and go to a meeting with a one-year-old and three-year-old. Like, have you ever done anything with a one-year-old and three-year-old where they're sitting for an hour? You can't do anything with a one-year-old, three-year-old, except have them. (laughs) Yeah. And that's not to say AA doesn't save lives. It does. But for me in that space, in my life, I was not ready to go there. I was not willing to go there. But when the pandemic hit and recovery went virtual, me and a group of four other women, um, Emily Paulson from Highlight Real Recovery started the Sober Mom Squad. And we started meeting each week. And all the only requirements to join this meeting is if you identify as a mother and you are living or exploring sobriety, that's it. You don't have to call yourself anything. You don't have to put yourself on the on camera. You don't even have to participate. You could just listen. And this is something that I wish with everything I have, that when I first quit drinking, this was available to me. Yeah. Um, it would have made the ability to explore what this can look like or what other moms in my position are doing. It would have made it so much easier. And um, finding a community um, in sobriety can be hard because you don't hear a lot about it. I think there is a lot of shame people have to uh, work through, especially in early sobriety. So for us to have these meetings each week where we're connecting with other women who are on their day one, who are on their day 30, or who are on their year 18, you know, it's the whole spectrum is the most liberating thing um, and probably the best exercise in exploring sobriety you could possibly ask for. Uh, So that is my number one suggestion for anyone who's like, I'm picking up what you're putting down. What do I do next? Uh, I don't know if I'm ready to go there yet, but I'm curious. Go to a meeting, listen in. Um, see if anything anybody says resonates with you. And, you know, if anything, you, you'll get to hear other women's stories and and decide for yourself. But um, that was probably the biggest game changer in recovery that happened during the pandemic that I think um, was such a boon to mothers that we did not have available to us prior to that. And, um, is it completely opened doors for us. So I can put all those links for people, right? So they can kind of join in and, and check it out. Yes. Um, that's amazing. So thank you for that. And thank you for the way you are showing up because obviously part of this is we want to see that another person's doing it and they're not in prison. They don't <laughs> look like they're having the worst life ever, right? Like you really model like my life's pretty good guys. Like I'm okay. Like, you know, I, I think, I think it's, I think it's nice to see that because like you were saying before, the old paradigm is either you're in AA in a basement with your coffee or you are a teetotaling lunatic drinking day and night. And you're like, is there anything else? (laughs) You know, could there be a world where I explore a sober life that doesn't have to have all these labels and limits? So I think it's amazing what you're doing. All Mm -hmm. right. It's on to the speed round. Are you ready? All right. All right. Here we go. What was the speed round? Let me go look by what you sent me. So I just want you to fill in the blank. There's no, there's no wrong answer. That's the good news here. (laughs) And to fill in the blank, I am learning that. I am learning that motherhood, sobriety, and life in general is a journey, not a destination. L to the yes. Yes. I love that. When I feel lost, I. 
go to a meeting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, we need community. That I mean, that's yeah. all I do. I don't even, I barely work with any women one-on-one. And when I do, I charge them an astronomical price because I really believe in the power mm-hmm. of the group dynamic. It's totally. not just my voice. I'm happy to coach and guide. But when women are with their like kind, when they're with other women who are, and they're learning from them, they go so much further faster and they feel so much better. Yeah. So it's when so you true. Hear- your own story told through someone else's words, there's nothing more validating. Oh my God. There's nothing more reassuring. That's so true. I am a woman who... I am a woman who will always get vulnerable and share my story knowing that others can't or aren't ready to yet. You know, if my story can help any mother struggling, I'm going to share, I'm going to share my story loud and proud till the day I die. Yeah. And you know, you are helping people because I know people have come to you and said, if you didn't share your story, I would have never done it. I'm sure you've heard that a billion zillion times. So I'm so excited to introduce you to my audience so that they can hear you too. I'm proud of the fact that I. I'm really proud of the fact that I, uh, I quit drinking before my dad died. Um, you know, my dad never was able to get sober on his own terms. I think probably watching his own daughter go through similar struggles must have been really hard for him. I quit drinking about a year or two before he passed. And um, I'm so grateful that I get, I got to honor him and show him that he helped me get there. I mean, not just through his story, but through um, what I've learned from him along the way. Like, and I'm so grateful I was able to show him that um, I'm, I'm going down the right path one of the really hard parts, I think, after my dad died was not wanting to, re- or, you know, wanting to relapse, being like, if there's an excuse to drink, this is it. And then remembering, like, how do I honor my dad right now? Like, how do I honor him? And that was really empowering for me to know that the greatest way I can honor him is by staying sober through this. 1000%. And he's just looking down at you, just proud as hell of you. And look what you started. You didn't just get, you didn't, you're not just sober. You are literally leading a movement of women and freeing them. So that is like, please, what a legacy you have. Uh, I always say. Uh, so I have a sober app and um, every morning at 10 AM, it sends me a little quote. And my favorite is you didn't come this far just to come this far. And I, that's my favorite saying because I, I use it in my sobriety. I use it when I'm tra- uh, training for a race. I use it in everything I do. Um, it just it relates on so many levels. What do you? What do you? Are you a runner? I'm a runner, and um, I I'm trying to figure out my what my next marathon will be. Um, I just got rejected from the New York Marathon. <laughs> Does that even? Ha- what do you mean rejected? You have to like apply. It's a lottery. Yeah. And oh, because there's so many people. Yeah. Oh, so, okay. I gotta, I gotta figure I'm out like, who would reject you. I can't even <laughs> imagine the person. <laughs> okay, it's a lottery. That's a different. You're not really rejected. It feels like a rejection. Oh my god, no! But that's not what it is. It's a lottery, for God's sake. Yeah, yeah. It just means that the universe is putting you in a different place. Right. It wants me to run somewhere else. <laughs> it wants you to run somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. That's so funny. I'm really excited about. I'm really excited about uh, the direction uh, sobriety is going. Um, there's a pro sobriety movement happening right now, and I am just beyond excited to be part of it. 
uh, non-alcoholic drinks are exploding on the market. Uh, More people are speaking up and telling their stories without feeling shame or stigma. And I think, you know, you talked to Jessica Leahy about uh, how we message this to our children. I believe that by us sharing these stories without shame or guilt, we are teaching our children the most essential vital rules by not keeping these as secrets like past generations did. And I think it'll have an impact on our kids and their kids when the pressures of alcohol come their way because they can and they will and they do. I hope and I I think that that's the direction we're going, that it it won't be such a, you know, you it's the only drug you need to explain not using. If we can get to the point where alcohol is the same as cigarettes from a, there's no expectation that you're going to smoke. So why is there an expectation that you're going to drink? I think we are going in the absolute right direction. Yeah. And you know, you think about seatbelts, right? Yeah. I mean, no one wears a seatbelt. It was a dumb, in fact, if you wore a seatbelt, you were an idiot. Like people are like, you're wearing a fucking seatbelt? Like what's wrong with you? Are you okay? Now it's like, no, you wear a seatbelt. That's what you do. You wear a seatbelt. You're not an idiot. So you wear a seatbelt, right? Yeah. So by the same token, there's so many things that are getting a reframe right now. So I'm with you on that. I kind of think like, oh, it's not just automatic. Like everyone drinks. Like it's, and it's also not like, why? Why aren't you drinking? Uh, Celeste, what's happening with you? What? What? You know, so I think you're right. I think we're going through all these different paradigm shifts because the even the pandemic really kind of showed us like, oh, wow, you know what? I don't like to go out that much. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. Like, you know, you just learn so much about yourself and we are learning about ourselves as a society about what we really want to be engaging in. And so I kind of love that. I love that we're reimagining like that drinking is not an automatic that yeah. it can be like, no, that's just not, I don't do that. Like, I don't, it doesn't work for me. And it's, I don't like it. I don't like how it makes me feel. And I don't feel like doing it. Thanks. You know? So thank you and bravo to you. And I'm excited about not only this episode coming out, but this book, because this book is fire. So I'm <laughs> so excited to read it. I can't even tell you. So thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing with these wonderful listeners, all, all of your wisdom and gold. Thank you, Liz. This is awesome. All right, everybody, thank you for joining me today. And if you remember, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify if you enjoyed the show. And also leave us a five-star written review. This is the Conversations with Warrior Women podcast with me, Liz Swadek. Remember, every woman has a story. You just need to ask her. Bye, everyone.